episode 5-8 of Free is in Freedom. I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. So uh, we, we sh- probably shouldn't have released um, OX 5.3 where we said, or 5, whatever it was, 5.6 where we said we were back, Karen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's been very busy. Well, I, I think that I think that we should explain to the listeners what happened. Other than the move that I talked about on OX five six, I, I actually there was a there was a change that happened before that that made it more difficult because that's when things got a little more or recordings got a little more rarely released. And it used to be that when you worked at the Gnome Foundation and I worked at Conservancy, we met to talk about what was going on in free software, and then we just recorded it. But when you came to work for Conservancy, like uh, two years ago, was it two years ago now, a year and a half ago? A year and a half ago. That's when things got bad. I mean, if I look back at the recordings, that's what happened. And so the problem was that I guess we, because we're so overwhelmed with work at Conservancy that uh, recording falls to the wayside because when we start talking about what we're thinking about, it's always has, there are always Conservancy action items that we have to do. Well, I think also that we were using it to catch up about what was going on generally in the free software world, which at this point we're doing that as part of our work. And and actually, I told this to listeners whom I met, and they said that we should just record all our meetings and broadcast those. (laughs) That would uh, terrify me. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's not a very good idea. And I told them at the time it was not, in fact, a good idea. Um, So. So uh, so last year we had some material from DevConf that we broadcast on OX for Foxtrot. Uh, and this year, I don't think we're going to, are we going to include the audio? I don't think we're going to include the audio from DevConf, are we? That wouldn't make much sense. We probably should just link to it, do you think? Yeah, I think we should just link to it. But at DevConf, I announced a project that, that uh, primarily you have been working on for some time, but uh, I, I went and announced it at DevConf that was a conservancy uh, matter. And, and again, uh, I, I don't think our listeners will mind that we're announcing conservancy things on Free is in Freedom because we both work for conservancy now. It, yeah, I guess, well, I, this is also not just announcing it, but discussing it. And it's discussing something that we have insight to because it's one of our programs. So we announced at DebConf a new program called the Debian Copyright Aggregation Project. And Karen, do you want to briefly describe what it is? Sure. And I would say that uh, that when you say that you announced it, I should add that, Bradley, you had a keynote, which is pretty cool. Um, DebConf is a really cool conference and that you got to keynote that was really, really awesome. And um, the fact that you were able to announce something so important to the Debian project is, I think, just makes me really happy. (laughs) Yeah, and I cried on stage and all that, so there was that. Did you actually haven't had time to watch the video? Yeah, yeah, I did at the end about how great Debian was. Yeah, you didn't, yeah. You didn't watch it? No, okay. I. You know, people. I saw people tweeting about how nice your talk was and how emotional and how much they enjoyed it. 
I didn't realize that uh, that that had happened. That's really I nice. I guess I should have said spoiler alert because now people who didn't watch it now are going to hear that. So, oh well, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really nice, um, and I'm glad you told me about it. I really have to watch that. Um, no, you don't have to watch it. You really know what, I, you know what your... I talked about, so you don't have to watch it. I did, but people were really moved by how you spoke, and so I, I do want to see it, and I think that our listeners will feel the same way. So uh, why don't you describe uh, briefly what the what the project is? <laughs> okay. So the, Deb- the Debian Copyright Aggregation Project is basically um, a way in which Debian developers, if they want to do so, can assign their copyrights to Conservancy for stewardship and for um, a variety of other uh you know, copyright maintenance reasons, including enforcement and um, and many other reasons. So uh, Debian contributors can either assign their copyrights or they can sign enforcement agreements, whatever they prefer. And the enforcement agreements are basically the same ones that we currently use for the projects that already do GPL enforcement through Conservancy. So Samba and BusyBox and Linux all do enforcement uh, through Conservancy. So those developers, generally speaking, haven't assigned a copyright, although I think we have some copyright assigned in, in both uh, BusyBox and Linux, actually. Uh, but, the, uh, but the majority of developers who are involved with those enforcement projects sign agreements that delegate authority to do enforcement on behalf of the copyright holders to Conservancy. Right. And the assignment agreement is actually something new for Conservancy. We haven't taken assignments in the past. Uh, though, um, actually, that's not true. We had a few people assigned, but oh. we, hadn't, we hadn't offered it as, as a general option. I, there were a couple of people who had chosen to assign uh, their copyrights on BusyBox, uh, you, know, you probably would remember when oh, you think about it. Oh, I did know that. Yeah, but uh, the, the, the general offer to accept copyright assignment is something that we generally hadn't done. We'd always said when projects join or affiliated with Conservancy that copyright assignment was an option they could have, but, but given how anti-copyright assignment most of the free software world is it it was generally not something that developers asked for uh, and in fact it was one specific developer who bugged us to create this program because he wanted copyright assignment to conservancy yeah this is one of those uh those programs that uh, you know and most most of our programs are like this where we form them because someone who's passionate about a project comes to us and suggests it yeah, I, I think that uh, we've often had developers ask for certain services and we've investigated whether or not we could do those services. Uh, and in this mm-hmm. case, uh, it was actually Stefano Zaccaroli, who was the Debian project leader for many years, uh, asked uh, if Conservancy would be willing to accept his copyrights on Debian uh, going forward because he doesn't want the burden of having to steward them. And in fact, this came somewhat out of the discussions of the Debian website. So, so I don't know if you know this, but there's a long-standing bug ticket uh, regarding the Debian website, and it had copyright SPI at the bottom of it, Software in the Public Interest, the organization that Debian uh, often works with in the United States, uh, has its uh, restricted asset fund and so forth. And people 
people had contributed to the website under one license and then they decided that license didn't make sense and they wanted to use a different license for the website, uh, but they hadn't really kept track uh, as well as they should have of everybody who contributed, plus everybody was putting this copyright notice SPI, which wasn't even correct uh, on their work because they hadn't assigned it to SPI. Uh, and that work's still ongoing to get everybody who's contributed to the Debian website uh, to figure out who has and, and make sure the relicensing happened. And I, I think it was that uh, event that showed Stefano it would be better if, particularly for those who might not want to day-to-day -day be involved with various Debian project things uh, after they've moved on to a different project to be able to uh, give their copyright to a steward. Uh, and uh, Software in the Public Interest uh, was obviously the obvious choice. And in fact, they weren't uh, interested nor really equipped to provide that service. So they approved uh, Conservancy's plan uh, to provide that service to Debian developers. And it's pretty classic Debian that they, they tend to affiliate with lots of different organizations around the world, whoever happens to be able to suit their specific need. That's how Debian's preferred to operate uh, over its uh, history. Yeah, and SPY has been very encouraging of that approach generally, which is uh, a really, you know, I, I think that's one of the unique to software in the public interest uh, features. Uh, and I always like talking about different fiscal sponsors in the space because uh, despite the fact that it seems like there are a lot of fiscal sponsors in the free software space, we all kind of do things slightly differently. So we're kind of, you know, have an organization for each need. Like each of us is, is sort of different and it's cool because it means that we can do things in partnership with one another um, and not be in competition. It's funny you mentioned that there are people perceive there being so many fiscal sponsors when in fact, uh, with regard to charities, there's really only three. Uh, the FSF provides uh, effectively fiscal sponsorship for things that are officially GNU projects, uh, but not much else. They don't have a general program. Um, and then there's Software in the Public's Interest and Software Freedom Conservancy. And that's basically it with regard to charities. Am I, am I missing somebody well, who's a charity? That's not true. There's a pa Apache Software Foundation as a C3. And the GNOME Foundation does fiscal sponsorship, too, sometimes. Mm. Okay. Well, yeah. the, the three that really are, <laughs> are, the, are the, 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 the premier ones, I suppose, I mentioned. Um, so, and then there's obviously a bunch of uh, uh, corporate-controlled trade associations that well, do something Well, and then also the sometimes the EFF, you know, operates in this capacity. They were a fiscal sponsor for TOR. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. and well, Tor has its own it. organization, though. Well, now it does, but uh, but EFF served in the interim, and occasionally hmm. they do that too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. So, uh, so I think that, that this particular project uh, is is confined to just the issues of GPL enforcement and copyright assignment. One of the things that a lot of people have asked for is this ability to assign copyright in their wills. And you'll see, uh, if you watch my talk, that's the first thing that Ian Jackson stands up and asks about, about the ability to do that. And that's something, Karen, you've actually worked on for many years yourself, uh, trying to find a solution whereby people can uh, leave copyright to an organization. Oh my gosh, this was a problem that I started struggling with in 2006. Uh, I got, you know, I, I, we were talking at SFLC about, you know, how great it would be, you know, or, or this this need about, you know, sort of the, the term gray, gray bearded hackers came up and um, someone was talking about how uh, they theorized that we were going to see an increase in contributions as older hackers retire and, um, you know, and, and have more time 
on their hands to contribute to um, the ideological causes that they care about. And we started talking about this and um, and then in the context of relicensings that you and I have done together, Bradley, um, and that, you know, I think we've, we've both seen the situation where you were in a relicensing situation, but the, um, you know, one or two of the contributors had died. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget talking to a surviving spouse and having to explain what software freedom was and why this person's spouse cared so deeply um, because the surviving spouse said, well, you know, uh, this contribution was surely done for money. My spouse wanted, uh, you know, wanted to provide for his family and, uh, you know, I'm not just going to relicense it for no money and sort of walking through that painful process, which we knew were not what the, you know, the person who died wanted. Um, and so it's quite difficult, you know, it, it was a quite difficult situation. And um, seeing that happen over and over again, it made sense to look into whether or not you could bequeath a, um, you know, whether you could bequeath copyrights or not. And so I plunged into it extremely optimistically, thinking that this was going to be such a simple thing. And all I needed to do was some preliminary research, and I would get a trust and estates lawyer to sign off on it, and we would have the magic language, and we'd recommend it to developers, and we'd be good to go. But what I found instead is that actually it's quite complicated, that wills work differently from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and worse still in many jurisdictions if you were to try to bequeath copyright so you can assign a copyright today in every jurisdiction i'm aware of without any repercussions or problems but if you were to try to bequeath it then often the will if it has to go through the court process which is called probate then it turns out that there could be taxes levied and it could be quite complicated. You could need to hire an independent assessor. Um, you know, there could be all of these procedures. And the worst thing would be that if the copyrights were bequeathed, the estate could be taxed. So the surviving heirs could actually receive less money if they were receiving anything at all or have to pay even to make sure that the copyrights passed appropriately to the other organization. And that's simply not the kind of structure that we would want to put in place because we don't want there to be any, if we're recommending that people bequeath their copyrights, we don't want any sort of hidden taxes or hidden problems. So uh, so that began, <laughs> began this very long process of trying to research how to do these things well. And having seeing how complicated that was, certainly the easiest way to do it is that right away, if you assign now, it's no problem. Sorry, I, I, that was really long-winded. I get very excited talking about these legal issues. <laughs> well, I think the thing that we should point out uh, before going any further into those details is that we don't have a solution currently for it. It's the first thing I got asked about uh, at DebCom from various other people about these sorts of things and, uh, and understood that there was... There basically is a lot of uh, of desire for it, but it's not as easy as people think. And I, and I think everybody everybody sort of had this sense that uh, that oh, I'll just ask my estate lawyer and get it solved. And and everybody who said that, including Ian uh, Jackson, who said it at DebConf, has not come back with a solution uh, because I, I don't think there <laughs> there is one uh, that's easy. So so we actually delayed. I'm not surprised. I have. I do have an idea of how to do this mm -hmm. now, um, which I, I think is going to work. Yeah. 
but uh, I, I'm still developing it, so I don't want to spill the beans on this podcast. But stay tuned. Well, and I, I'm really excited. I think that we we need to uh, we needed to launch this program in part because uh, the 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 actual agreements to make the program work were signed uh, earlier this year, um, and uh, we'd hoped we could launch with this kind of solution. But uh, the people wanted the solutions we had, just general copyright assignment and general enforcement uh, uh, agreements, uh, so much that we wanted to move on that uh, quickly. So those who have have asked for the how do I handle this so, so that Conservancy gets it if any anything happens to me uh, and I and I, I I'm not alive anymore uh, but uh uh, long term, uh, we'll try to solve that. But short term, we don't have a solution. But we have these other yeah, and it's going to take it's going to take time to put in place the thing that I'm I'm working on. And I have the basic general idea for it now. But uh, the reason why I don't want to spill the beans on this podcast is because I'm worried it it won't work out for some reason or other because setting this up is going to be somewhat complicated. And it turns out that we, we actually uh, launched it primarily for the copyright assignment because that's what Stefan had originally asked for. Uh, what we've gotten more of is mm -hmm. enforcement agreements. People wanted uh, to see Debian's uh, copyrights enforced. I, I I had known Debian was a pretty friendly community I, I, uh, to copyleft generally. I'd spoken at DebConf in 2010, and, and most Debian developers I knew were, were pro-copyleft, but Debian's a very large community. Um, and, and I've been pretty uh, surprised and impressed that, that there's such a, a pro-copyleft uh, belief inside Debian. Uh, spending so much time in the Linux community with all the for-profit companies that, that really basically are trying to work to make it so Linux isn't even GPL'd anymore. I mean, if they, if they could succeed in that, they would. They would. <laughs> uh, it's, only, it's only thanks to the, the, the early decisions made by the earliest contributors to Linux that it's, there is a remain GPL'd uh, in some sense because uh, the these companies push so hard against copyleft all the time and are opposed to GPL enforcement. And having done most of the GPL enforcement I've done in recent years in the Linux space, to go into the Debian community and see so many people pro copyleft and wanting to see enforcement, uh, I really we should have done this sooner in, in some sense because the Debian community cares more about copyleft, I think, than, than most other free software communities, even, even those that might be under a copyleft license. I think so too, although I'm beginning to see more of a groundswell towards copyleft lately in an, a bunch of different communities, including the uh, the Linux kernel community. Um, and I think that it's partially a lot of frustration at the violations that have been happening and the sort of the, the realization that a lot of the theories that centered around the idea that if we had uncertainty, it would compel more compliance and that companies would do the right thing in the end has been shown not to be quite right. And that as no action is taken, companies become bolder and bolder. In fact, it's... And it, I think it, that that's... It's been more than that. It's not It's not even that it wasn't quite right. It, it's that this whole strategy that the various Linux developers had, that, that and the ambiguity of where the line was for, for a combined work uh, in, in legal situations that would somehow encourage everybody to share, what it's encouraged is people are going to say, well, the GPL and the LGPL are exactly the same license. And most companies act as if it is. Uh, and 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 figure well to get away with it, uh, and and VMware is the great example of what we had to do to, mm -hmm. to try and draw attention to that, uh, because that's exactly what VMware is doing. They were acting as if it was LGPL, not GPL. Right, and I think that that the, that and 
my point is that it's also simply, it, it's a lot of companies. It, it's not just VMware. And so as developers come against this over and over and over again, it pushes people to become more copyleft focused and more ideological because they see the limitations of the license without enforcement. Your, your choice of the GPL means nothing if it's not going to be enforced or if companies don't believe that at some point it would be enforced. I agree with you uh, on the point, uh, whether uh, the, the, the fundamental point, whether it's uh, people are actually changing their opinions, I, I hope you're right. I, I I worry that a lot of a uh, lot of developers have sadly just listened to whatever their company told them to believe, uh, and and that's become a little too common. Uh, I think developers. I think that was totally true, and I think that that I think that that's been changing not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And admittedly, now that I have been uh, more publicly identified as being you know, a part of enforcement and um, and being at conservancy and being a part of all of this, it means that people are more aggressive about telling me what they think when they're supportive of this, you know, position. But I've, there are people who I talked to five years ago who had no desire to talk about copy left or licensing and especially enforcement, really no desire. And if you'd ask them anything about it, they would say, you have to talk to the legal counsel at my company. And I would say, well, that's not, you know, I want to know what you think. And they would say, well, that's not important. And those same people that I talked to five years ago are now starting to engage and sort of saying, well, I realize I can't just stand by anymore. I can't simply leave it to my company. I hope you're correct, and I so. hope that they join our coalition uh, and uh, and become uh, do GPL enforcement with us uh, over the long term. Um, I think one of the one of the interesting things is that uh, while a lot of the Debian stuff doesn't show up in the embedded space uh, as much, I have seen Debian violations. A lot of people asked me that when they were signing the agreements. Have you have you actually ever seen Debian in enforcement scenarios? And I certainly have. And the most common case is where. Uh, there's a, a server environment as part of the larger thing. So, so my best example is we, I once did an enforcement action against a, a home automation system. It was a rather high-end home automation system. And the primary system was Debian. Uh, so the server they put into your home was a Debian server, and then it had lots of other various different small devices off of it, uh, which are probably just usual embedded Linux type violations, but the main server was a Debian server. Um, and actually I figured this out because they had made uh, it, the URLs public of the the, the Debian pool, because they had their own pool of, 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 uh, of Debian packages. And if you had sniffed the network of your, and you had this home automation system installed, the person reported to us, emailed me the URLs that he found when he was sniffing the network, and those URLs were actually public. So I was able to see them distributing .deb files publicly over these URLs. Um, so that's one example where Debian was actually a central part of a GPL violation. Uh, and so I, I think that uh, certainly now that we're doing enforcement for Debian, we'll be able to uh, to, to deal more with those types of, of violations, uh, hopefully, uh, resource permitting, of course. Yeah, I mean, well, so it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it's going to be challenging to, uh, you know, to find the resources to continue to develop the infrastructure around it. But um, I'm excited because it's so important. Debian is at the foundation of a lot of uh, free software related technology. And so it's it's just an incredibly important project and just worth worth this level of attention and care. 
So, uh, so is there anything else we want to tell our listeners about this program and how it fits into uh, fits into our other work? Uh, I, I'm not sure if we've covered everything or not that, that folks want to hear about. Hmm. Well, on the other hand, people are you thinking of anything in particular? <laughs> yeah, people just want to hear us randomly talk about other things. Um, so should should we include a, a we have a we have a pre-recorded segment uh, of us talking about random stuff. Should we add that onto the end of this episode, Karen? I don't even know if you remember what it is. Um, I totally don't remember what that is. Um, well, it's we, we uh, I I don't know. So we I, but I guess we'll have to maybe people if they keep listening, maybe there's going to be another segment of us talking about random stuff. This this seemed very much like a, a conservancy and I, I I do feel bad for our listeners if we use the oddcast as a way to announce things the conservancy's doing. Um, I, I, well, I, guess, I don't know. I mean, we're discussing something that conservancy's doing and I don't <laughs> I, I I wouldn't you're laughing at me because I'm like spinning it. I I, I really think that People, people who listen to our podcast know that it's me and you and hearing the things that we work on is what I get asked the most for us to talk about. Okay. Well, I, I guess, I guess listeners are going to write in. I, I presume they'll be happy enough that there's another episode that they're not going to complain about its content, but maybe they will. I mean, they are our listeners. They complain. I guess the only piece we didn't cover, and I don't know if you want to talk about it, but why you might want to assign copyrights. So I, I mean, Stefano made a really good case for this, and, and it's quoted in my slides from the from the uh, from the talk that people can go and listen to separately. Uh, the the it's it's a burden to hold copyright because it means that people will contact you for relicensing decisions. It means that if it's a copyleft license, you're responsible for enforcing it. And that extra burden is something that I think uh, some developers would rather not have. And if they're, and this is a classic kind of, of copyleft situation. I think the the history of sort of the way the FSF copyright assignment process worked uh, got conflated with the the real benefit to it, uh, which was that people knew that uh, if they assigned copyright to the FSF, the FSF was going to make sure. And when I used to do in GPL enforcement at the FSF on say GCC, uh, it was an opportunity. Opportunity uh, for all those developers to to be to be sure the copyleft was upheld without having to worry about the details of doing enforcement. Um, and I, I think a lot of people, when they look at enforcement, their first reaction is how interesting it is. And the fact of the matter, I've talked about this so many times on this podcast and, and everywhere else, that, that it's actually not that exciting of a process. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of burdensome work uh, to enforce a copyleft license. And, and I, I think once developers learn that, they move on. I, I think Harold uh, Velta eventually learned that. That's one of the reasons he moved on to do other things and doesn't do enforcement. GPLviolations.org is gone completely and quite literally the, the website's gone uh, because the people involved with that discovered it wasn't particularly profitable and, and doing other types of um, uh, less <laughs> less community friendly services was an easier way and, and some of the people involved in it did that and Harold moved on to write some really important free software and spend his time doing that uh, working on uh, mobile uh, free software for mobile uh, systems and GSM and all that other stuff that he did of that nature um, so it's yeah. really it's 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 just it's just not the type of work that most people want to spend their careers doing. Um, yeah, I would not rather only, not spend my career doing it either, but I but so few people are. I feel I have to. Yeah, I mean, not only is it not profitable. I mean, once you engage in it, you hurt other fundraising prospects. So it's uh it's funny. It's like um, it's like the the entire 
the entire industry around copylefted works relies on you know the the entire collaborative environment that people talk about as being so good around projects like the Linux kernel where you know you, you have this amazing collaborative community comes from the uh, you know copyleft licensing and if if it's if it's not enforced then it it all falls apart and so the service so it's a real service that you know the community based enforcement activities are are doing and it's it sort of supports everyone but nobody wants to be involved with it in particular because it's it's so not profitable it's hilarious um, so it's mm -hmm. it's really done in order to when it's done a community based way it's really done uh, as a as a as a service and because people are passionate about making sure that there is compliance and so it's it's one of those funny things you would you, you you might start doing it because you find it think it might be interesting or you think it might be profitable. But at the end of the day, uh, you'll find that not to be the case. And so this work that we do sort of supports free software overall. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's it's kind of funny that it, it comes down that way. So uh, so you asked if there's any other things, the benefits of copyright assignment. I think that fund, uh, Stefano really put it best about it's it's both a burden and a privilege to hold copyright. And if you want to mm -hmm. let go of the burdens, um, you can also let go of the privilege too, uh, and and just and just let it let somebody else take care of it. Uh, but the reason I felt the enforcement agreements were so important is that I think a lot of people don't want to give up their copyright. There's a certain mm -hmm. feeling of, of creativity that people want to have control of. Um, the only final thing that I think we ought to mention is that we actually worked with a lawyer uh, in in France to verify that the copyright assignment works in France. Um, mm -hmm. And the EU generally. Yeah, in the EU generally, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and those, in those, particularly in the moral rights uh, uh, regimes uh, and, and making sure that it, it works for that. Um, we've, we've gotten, the, basically, uh, the, the, it's funny that the people People are uh, so uh, so concerned about this issue in Europe that they they haven't they haven't looked into the details, and we've gotten some back channel criticism from from some less knowledgeable folks uh, saying, "Oh, well, the copyright assignment doesn't work in Europe. Uh, that's well known. Uh, it, it's it needs to be different." Um, like there's this interesting rule in France about uh, you can't you can't sign future copyrights without saying exactly what project it is that you're assigning them for. Um, of course, the project yeah, it can't be unbounded. It can't be unbounded. That everything I ever do for the rest of my life is yours, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, I think I think the funny part is is that people people point to that in France as an issue. It would probably be problematic in the U.S. if you if you tried to assign. And I mean, I think there would be contractual arguments of, of non-equity, right, Karen? If, if somebody got me to assign a copyright assignment agreement in the U.S. that was for everything I ever did for the future for the rest of my life. Um, I don't know. That'd be I, really I, interesting. I haven't thought about I think it. It could be somewhat in an inequitable contract, right? If, if, if somebody got me to sign away everything I ever write down <laughs> for the rest of my life. Potentially. Yeah. Um, uh... It really would depend. <laughs> Sorry, such yeah. a lawyer's answer. <laughs> but yeah. well, I, certainly, I, if if I if I signed that agreement and didn't know what it was, I would sue, arguing that it was that it was it was unconscionable. To, to give, is the term? Yeah, to give me one dollar for everything I ever do for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, in copyright, that's copyrightable. That that's that's going pretty far. And, and the FSF assignments uh, classically have always been confined to a specific set of works uh, in the GNU project. And well. I think that this. So, sort of highlights the point that not all copyright assignments are equal. 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, the term copyright assignment can mean a lot of things. And uh, it's different when you're talking about assigning to a charitable nonprofit that's making representations with what it will do with the copyrights once it holds those copyrights, um, which is very different than assigning to a company. Um, and in a project like Debian, where the copyrights are still held by multiple parties, uh, it really makes a very different situation than one where a for-profit company is insisting on holding all copyrights in a single project. Yeah, and in fact, it, it, it's kind of funny that the, the, I wonder how many people who are anti-copyright assignment have gone and done work in the United States. Uh, because almost everyone who's employed in the United States is under a work-for-hire agreement, and they end up having their copyrights assigned to their employer. I know plenty of free software developers whose employers hold other copyrights. And I know very few free software developers who insist to keep their own copyrights when they go to work for a company. I, at some point, uh, would like to see the statistics on people who say they oppose copyright assignment and those who have done work for hire, because it's effectively assigning copyright to your employer uh, when you go to work for hire. And also, the number of people who sign a contributor licensing agreement that gives a very broad license uh, license to the uh, to the recipient of that CLA that's almost like assigning copyright to them because they have almost all the same powers mm -hmm. uh, that you would normally have. So if you if you took who's who's gone to work in the US and had a work for hire agreement, who's signed these CLAs, is there anybody who's actually against copyright assignment who hasn't done one of those things and effectively uh, been a hypocrite? Right. And uh, with the licensing regard? agreement, the key is that a lot of them are actually grant permission to sub-license under a different license, which is effectively like uh, like assigning or all the bad parts of assigning. Yep. <laughs> so, so I, I it's mm -hmm. I, I think the uh, this is a I mean this is the classic problem I always talk about in free software is that the the issues are so complex and and no one actually wants to understand I mean not no one but very few people want to spend the time understanding the nuances of all these things. Uh, it's it's. Uh, it's an unsolvable problem, in my view, to, to get people to pay attention to the complexities. Uh, and, and there's no, none of these things have a simple answer uh, it, that you mm -hmm. can tell people, well, this is, you should never sign a CLA, or you should never sign copyright, or you should, uh, even if you say you should only assign copyright to a nonprofit entity uh, that's a charity, um, and, and then you're already qualifying it so much there, first of all. And second of all, it's probably not always correct. Uh, because charities can be corrupt too. Uh, any organization can be corrupt. So you have to investigate the governance of the charity you're, you're working with and, and know something about it. And I encourage people to, uh, who are in Debian or any other project that's involved with Conservancy to investigate our governance at Conservancy to see if they're comfortable with it and, and ask questions. Uh, we operate incredibly transparently compared to other uh, nonprofits, mm -hmm. both trade associations and charities in, in, the, in the community. So, uh, so I, I encourage you to start asking those kinds of questions of all these entities out there that are involved in open source and free software. Definitely. And if you're interested in participating in the Debian Copyright Aggregation Project, you can email debian-services at sfconservancy.org. And uh, there's a bit of a backlog in answering that email address already because we've had such an overwhelming interest, but we should be able to get uh, get answers to you quickly and get you signed up uh, if you want to be signed up to any of the programs uh, that we're offering for Debian. Uh, one final thing we should mention, Karen, is the Debian agreement also has uh, a... a, a um, an offer to Debian on a monthly basis to help with various different things. So we should probably mention, talk about that for a little bit before we wrap up. Okay. So do you want to explain how that works? 
Um, honestly, I'd have to look at the agreement again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so how it works is... Uh, uh, that's funny because I, I wrote the agreement, but <laughs> so how it works is we we give Debian um, a, uh, a a number of hours, four hours per month uh, of of uh, basic uh, licensing and other types of policy advice. Uh, so if Debian has questions about uh, licensing or other types of issues, uh, they can contact Conservancy through the Debian project leader. It has to go through the DPL. We we decided just we needed to create a gatekeeper. Uh, as I said in my uh, my keynote. It, it's not like we're going to get on Debian legal and start answering every thread. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but if people want to channel questions through the DPL that, that need the expertise that Conservancy has, uh, we're willing to share our policy and, and other types of expertise uh, with the Debian project um, at, a, at, at a maximum of four hours per month. And then we actually have a, have a fee beyond the four hours per month. But they can always just wait until the next month and finish asking their question <laughs> and get another four hours. Um, so that's it, it, yeah. I mean, we set it up so that it was easy for uh, the Debian project through the DPL to take the best advantage of uh, of the time as possible while not putting us against the wall because our resources are somewhat limited. Yeah, and and so uh, and so that's that, that that's not legal advice to be clear. It's basically strategic policy advice and and expertise uh, shared. And that's one thing we've been very clear uh, about the Debian project with the Debian project that that uh, that we're not we can't become its lawyer in part because it's not joining. Whereas when conservancy member projects in the usual fashion join, we're able to provide legal services as part of them being inside our organization. So our, our lawyers are their lawyers, uh, and our general counsel is their general counsel, and so forth. Uh, with Debian, that's not the case, because they haven't joined in the usual way that a member project joins. They've joined... Uh, the right, because Debian is affiliated with uh, SPI and a number of other organizations. Yeah. So uh, it works out quite differently. And, uh, and we don't usually get these kinds of other relationships with projects, but because this was so special in particular, it made a lot of sense to do it. So yeah, so it's not legal services that we're providing, but uh, now I'm having the agreement in front of me, <laughs> uh, consulting um, and advisory services um, or engineering services relating to compliance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's that's basically it. There was an article in LWN that Nate Willis wrote about the about the uh, the new program. You can read that as well. Um, and if folks uh, want to know more, they can keep they can watch Conservancy's website. And if you're uh, happy about what we're doing at Conservancy with these kind of programs, you can become a supporter at sfconservancy.org/supporter. Uh, and uh, it makes a work. huge difference to us if you do. And uh, I, I think uh, I th is there anything else we want to add uh, about the about this program, Karen? I think that's it. You know, anyway, I think we went on long enough that we should not uh, we should not include that off-topic stuff this time. We should wait and save it. Okay, so and I look forward to re refreshing my memory as to what that is. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a, so next time we're, we have a short show, we'll, we'll have an off-topic segment that we can throw in at any time. Uh, it's old now. We recorded it in October, so it's getting older all the time. October 2014. So, uh, but oh, okay. But that's okay. We we can we can hold. That's what we planned on anyway to hold it until there was a show that was a little bit short. Which this cool. one is well, not. Thanks. <laughs> right. Well, thanks for listening. This episode of Free as in Freedom is produced by Mike Tarantino, filling in for Dan Lynch of podfactory.org. Theme music is by Mike Tarantino, and thanks to Charlie Paxson on drums. Yeah.
Just before. I thought you went before. 